it's um, information that we have in the book. Uh, as you listen through our YouTube live events, you'll see that quite often we cover topics that are covered in the book. Now, um, it occurred to me very late uh, this morning that this is a major area, a major interest area for Todd Eldridge, my co-author on the book. Uh, we sent him an invitation. I don't know if he's going to be joining us today or not. Speaking of joining us today, thank you so much uh, if you are uh, joining us during the holidays. And I hope you're having uh, some very good holidays. Um, <clears throat> speaking of the book, we're, uh, we're continuing to get very positive feedback about the book. We'll read a couple of comments a little bit later about it. One of the things we're realizing is that I probably didn't give it enough credit when it was coming out earlier. Um, I think I did as uh, I, I like to give my wife a hard time and say I, lis I listened to her too much. And I had listened to her about uh, her opinion on the book. She just she was a really tough critic. And um, she's a, a major proponent to putting things in fourth grade level. And that's not a fourth grade level book. But you know what? <clears throat> Most of our viewers are not really fourth grade level viewers either. So, again, we continue to get really good uh, feedback on it. And there's good science in there. There's good information that, you know, even if you're not interested in science, if you're interested in uh, living past your 60s, maybe skipping that heart attack or stroke or dementia that most folks in the in standard medicine say, you know what? They're just going to happen in your 60s or 70s. Mm. Maybe you ought to read the book and maybe you ought to think a little bit deeper about um, learning some science that unfortunately uh, medicine in this space can be a, a buyer beware type of environment. Now, and that's what this channel is all about, giving information that uh, science has already shown very clearly. Most primary care docs don't understand. Things like the underlying cause of heart attack, stroke, dementia, and um, how docs don't know how to diagnose it, let alone manage it. Then we get into key items that, that are related to that. For example, we've uh, previous topics, we've covered sleep, vitamin, key, a vital key to health, which people just don't think about. We did a, a, a video with uh, lean mass hyper responders and a series of short videos that came out of that with Dave Feldman. Somebody made a comment and uh, the comment was, look, you didn't show Dave Feldman's uh, image in some of the B-roll. No, we didn't in some of the B-roll. And we didn't have uh, enough of his image in the thumbnails. Uh, we are working on that. The, the intent is not to ride Dave Feldman's co coattails other than to say, look, Dave Feldman is a big, uh, a big name in this space. He originated this term of lean mass hyper responders. We were very fortunate to have him on board. And so what we'll be doing, I, I met with the uh, the editing team and the, the graphics guys, the content guys. We'll be going back and uh, putting Dave Feldman's name a little, and his image a little bit more uh, obviously in the titles, in the, uh, uh, the videos and the images themselves. Um, <clears throat> we've had a lot of good visitors over the past uh, few weeks. Dr. Craig Bax came on board and talked about um, uh, 
his butterfly screening uh, activities. Um, we're looking to have Dr. David Wright again when he can come uh, come back. He's um, He's been on the channel before. He, Dr. Bax and Dr. Dedia and I are actually talking about uh, developing some team approach to what we do. Um, Dr. Wright's got some uh, family health business that he's working on right now, and hopefully we'll be able to get back and visit us uh, over the next few weeks. As I said, you know, just a quick, a quick plug for the content for the channel. I, our information is there to provide for you information that you're not likely to get from your doc. Things like cardiovascular inflammation, pre-diabetes, how to diagnose it, how to manage it. Um, and one of the perennial favorites is uh, supplements. People talk about supplements. Again, when you go through a routine medical training, docs don't get a lot of information on diet or supplements. And again, they're kind of, uh, tend to be kind of weak in that space as well. So although, yes, I have been trained in uh, basic medicine, I taught, I taught preventive medicine at Johns Hopkins. Uh, so I have reached um, uh, some pretty high levels in terms of <clears throat> basic standard medicine. But there are places that have been places and topics and things that get left out. Prevention overall gets left out. <clears throat> Focusing on metabolism in order to uh, pick up problems with, with metabolism, in order to uh, change that and prevent disease in the future. Those sort of things just don't get covered very much in uh, in school and training. So uh, they're critical to to you and your health. And um, more and more people are recognizing that. So one of the ways to access it is a webinar. You can actually get your labs associated with prediabetes or diabetes, and you can actually see what other people have in terms of uh, their um, their status on uh, on these labs. It really helps. Uh, patients to put themselves and their condition in context. The doctor usually gets to see that, but the patient doesn't. So webinars are a great way to do it. Very cheap, very fast, quick ways to do it would be our courses. We have courses on insulin resistance or prediabetes, cardiovascular inflammation, plaque, you know, all things that are critical to your health, but just don't get covered very well in, uh, in medicine. Uh, we have a few subscriptions left, but with the Alabama project going on, we're getting less and less time to provide uh, care through the channel uh, operations and more and more focus on the, again, the Alabama project. <clears throat> uh, speaking of the Alabama project, it is growing very, very fast right now. It's becoming very popular. Folks are, uh, uh, there's a lot of need for primary care and prevention in lower Alabama, in Mobile, in Baldwin County. And there's been a lot of response to, uh, to our programs. So as we said earlier, uh, <clears throat> we keep getting um, more and more positive feedback about the book. And one of the things we're doing is going through different sections of the book and covering some topics that are important. The topic for today is vascular testing. So as we talked about, today is the, the basic content, the, the information, the program is on vascular function tests. What are they? Well, here's the definition. 
It's a group of non-invasive tests which measure the abilities of your arteries to expand or dilate and constrict in response to challenges. You know, <clears throat> these tests can be helpful. Um, because most of my channel practice, almost all of it is a remote or telemedicine practice, we don't use a lot of this because we just can't get a lot of, uh, of uh, access uh, to our patients for these activities. But again, Todd uh, Eldridge has a, a lot of that in his programs. <clears throat> Those of you who are getting CIMTs from Todd may want to ask him about some vascular function testing. Uh, again, they, the tests can be helpful, but they require advanced quality systems to be reliable. And as many of you know, who have uh, seen some of our content on CIMT testing, it's the same issue. Quality and reliability in this type of testing is very similar to CIMT. The quality, the re reproducibility is critical. Now let's talk a little bit about the background of this kind of testing. The, first we get to the anatomy. The artery has three basic layers. Just like anything else, as you get deeper and deeper into it, you can slice that out into about 10, 12, 15 layers. But the basic layers are the lining, the intima, that metabolic uh, layer that's so important. The media, uh, is a muscle layer, and that's important for structure. That basically supports that, um, that lining layer, the intima layer, the metabolic layer, where the, where the, uh, the oxygen is dropped off, carbon dioxide's picked up, uh, metabolites are dropped off uh, to, to the tissues, and waste products are picked up from the tissues. The adventitia is the connective tissue that keeps that artery in the place where it's located. The intima regu regulates vascular tone, permeability, metabolic exchange, nutrients and wastes, just as we discussed. Media determines elasticity, which regulates continuous delivery of blood to the tissues. <clears throat> so a lot of this um, vascular testing, as you'll see, has uh, involves interaction with the intima, the metabolic side of the artery, and how the media, the muscular side of that artery wall, responds. You can get increased arterial stiffness, contributing to increased blood pressure, impaired uh, heart blood supply, Atherogenesis, in other words, uh, athero meaning uh, thrombus or uh, plaque, genesis meaning making, so plaque making and microvascular damage. <clears throat> that's, that's the theory behind this type of vascular testing. Can we see uh, how much uh, stiffness is being created by uh, plaque in the vascular wall and poor health with the, uh, with the intima? and uh, the media. Now, the most popular tests are FMD, flow-mediated flow dilatation or dilatation, depending on your preference on pronunciation. It assesses the endothelium or the intima function and contributes to the progression, uh, how the, or contributes to measurement of progression of atherosclerosis. In other words, the theory here, again, is if you um, 
if you impact the metabolites associated with uh, the intima, how much is that impacting the ability of the artery to expand or dilate or contract? Pulse wave velocity, PWV, assesses the uh, stiffness. Augmentation index, AI, also evaluates arterial stiffness. PAT, the peripheral arterial tone, and digital thermal, thermal rebound, DTM. These measure responses to stress in a post-occlusive artery. In other words, you occlude the artery, and then you see how well that artery can still respond to stresses. Again, a key part here is that metabolic lining, that layer, the intima or the endothelium of that artery. Non-invasive vascular function tests can provide additional information to biomarkers, structural testing, um, the intima is, as you may remember, the source of NO or nitric oxide. The intima lines the entire arterial system. It provides crucial metabolic functions such as fuel, oxygen, and waste exchange with the cells. The intima protects the artery walls from oxidized LDL and other pathogens which lead to plaque. So as you remember, that small, dense LDL and oxidized LDL, quote, bad cholesterol, that's the, the stuff that can undergo what's called transcytosis, trans meaning going through, and cytosis meaning the cell, going through the cell. And, and what transcytosis is, is uh, oxidized LDL, small dense LDL, actually going through the intima lining cells uh, of the artery wall when, those, when they are damaged or stressed with cardiovascular inflammation. That uh, oxidized small dense LDL can't go through the next layer, the um, media layer. So it gets stuck between the intima lining and the media layer. That is exactly what plaque is. So you get things like hypertension, diabetes, prediabetes, most of all, hypercholesterolemia, heart failure, obesity, smoking, aging, menopause, uh, other things leading to things like cardiovascular inflammation. Uh, then you get endothelial dysfunction. The lining of the artery wall, the intima, starts undergoing, uh, it doesn't function as well. <laughs> then you get that transcytosis. The small dense LDL, the oxidized LDL starts passing through that layer of the endothelium. It gets stuck in the, uh, in the, between the endothelium and the media. And then you get plaque. Plaque builds up enough. The immune system, <coughs> excuse me, I still have a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of that uh, <coughs> sore throat I had earlier. <clears throat> Not so much sore throat, but um, uh, pharyngitis. Mm -hmm. And I've had this over two weeks at this point, by the way. So it's not likely to be um, to be Omicron, if you're wondering. So, as we said, you get set up in this process of having plaque, small dense LDL and oxidized LDL that's, trans, that's undergone transcytosis. It's gone through the intima lining cells and it's gotten stuck between them and the media, the muscle layer of the artery wall. The, your immune system recognizes that and says, that's not what should be happening. This shouldn't be there. So, the immune system sends in um, 
cells, which release enzymes to soften and digest that plaque. That's called hot plaque. That hot plaque, if it leaks back through, undergoes transcytosis again and comes back into the bloodstream from uh, passing back through that uh, uh, intimal cell wall, that hot plaque will, uh, when it touches blood, can form a clot. And the clot is what causes, if it's big enough and goes to the heart, causes a heart attack. If it's big enough and goes to the brain, it causes a stroke. And when it's microscopic and it goes on for decades, it can cause heart failure and dementia. Now, this is a favorite topic for a lot of guys, erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction is simply a failure of uh, vasodilation, that function of arteries in the penis. It's, uh, It's a significant known risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Um. <clears throat> Cialis and Viagra create a vasodilation similar to nitric oxide. That's actually how they work. Um, for those of us who have been long distance runners, you hit sometimes you hit at either sometimes between 15 minutes and an hour, you hit that second wind. You start relaxing, you start feeling like, you know what, it's not quite so much a struggle as it was in the beginning to. Uh, to do this running. That second wind is the vasodilation. It's where you've had uh, nitric oxide developed uh, by the intima. You've had a vasodilation. The, the media of the arteries in your legs have has uh, opened up, and it's allowing much better blood flow than it did in the beginning of the run. So these are just some examples of what happens with this type of vascular function and uh, some of the reason why that's popular to test. <clears throat> Compromise can be reflected and measured via vascular function testing. Now, you know, what is it that, that causes problems with arterial function? Uh, if we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times, it's lifestyle. Uh, aging is a big deal. Uh, the the inevitable uh, insulin resistance, prediabetes that that takes us overtakes us as we age, and especially as we gain body fat and lose muscle mass, those things um, have a big deal. In ter- in addition to just changes in other changes in our home, hormonal, uh, the docs would call it mayu, in our hormonal makeup. So uh, these things cause this problem. So what do we do about it? Again, you can't change your age, uh, but you can decrease body fat. You can make changes in your lifestyle. You can focus on muscular atrophy. And those things can help with loss of vascular function. You, you, You feel that when you're exercising. You feel it in your ability to catch your breath. Uh, muscle pains, my, what the docs calls, call myalgias. <laughs> you see, myo is a, is a uh, prefix meaning muscle and algia means pain. After initial uh, efforts to, <coughs> excuse me, restart an <laughs> exercise program, you start feeling better as you start uh, losing body fat, gaining muscle, 
doing the right things in terms of your lifestyle. The goal of most uh, vascular tests is to measure damage to the intima or the endothelium. So again, that's, uh, that's our short uh, content for today. I'm going to step back out. Um, if Aspen will give us the, um, the intro to the next phase, we will, um, we'll get started. I tell you what, we've got, I, this, uh, this started recently, LPG12338, uh, today gave us a super chat of $200. I've purchased your book and add to my collection. Great job as always. Thank you so very much, LPG12338. Um, <clears throat> let me just give, again, thank you. I, we, we appreciate that greatly. And let me just give a little bit of financial background uh, for the channel and the activities that we're doing uh, to folks to help you understand why that's important. Uh, we are now, um, we have over 100,000 viewers. Uh, in terms of locations throughout the world, the United States is a little bit less than half of our views now. Uh, over half of our views now come from the rest of the world, um, even places as far away as China. China has become the number five country in terms of uh, picking up uh, our, uh, our uh, podcast content. So this information is getting around the world. Um, we don't make much money doing it. In fact, it's, uh, I support the channel by seeing patients. Um, that goes to pay for the editorial team. We've got, uh, we've got Aspen, who's on today, managing the, co-hosting the, this event uh, Aspen's a great video editor. He's learned a lot in, in the past couple of years working with us. Gilbert uh, works on our, our graphics. Sam does, uh, helps us with setting up our, our web, our web uh, presence. That's in the Philippines. Then we've got a, a team in Mexico, which includes a, a doctor and a couple of tech folks. Um, they help us with some development of uh, educational programs. Uh, it's a team called PACE, uh, Carolina, uh, Dr. Jesus, uh, and Cecilia. Um, all folks that help us get this information and organize it so we can save lives. And sure enough, if you start looking out there, um, we, get, uh, we get feedback quite often where patients say, you know what, doc, I took your test. I don't have prediabetes. I've got full-blown diabetes. And guess what? My doc didn't know it. So uh, now I know what to do. I know what my risks are. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I can do to, to make significant changes. So LPG, thank you so much. That uh, 200 bucks will clearly go to helping uh, defray expenses on the channel um, and uh, getting that life-saving message out there. Thank you again. So <clears throat> my BJJ, good morning, Dr. Brewer. I hope you had a Merry Christmas with your family. Your book was my Christmas gift to my dad and brother, along with uh, Brad and Amy's Beat the Heart Attack Gene. 
Thank you so much, BJJ. I appreciate that. And uh, happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas. Uh, we talked about the book and uh, how maybe I listened a little bit too much to Dr. Derrickson, my sweet wife, on uh, criticisms of the book. Again, it continues to get out there. Bart, good morning. An excellent book indeed. Thank you so much, Bart. John Tocho, good morning. Happy New Year. Thank same to you, John. Uh, <clears throat> we did send an invitation to Todd. My guess is he's probably in Mexico somewhere. Felix is here. Uh, Felix actually joined us for a couple of videos. He uh, Felix is one of those folks that shared uh, some critical information as a patient. You know, he showed that, look, um, guys, I actually had significant uh, kidney damage. And as I began to change my lifestyle, lost 40 pounds and more. I got a significant reversal and improvement in kidney function. So if you haven't seen our videos, there were a couple of them with Felix. You need to go look them up, especially on things like, oh, you can't reverse kidney damage. Mm, think again. Bill H. Good morning. Good morning to you, Bill. I think Bill is in, uh, I think Bill's in uh, the Nashville area. LG. Thank you so much. Um, LPG. Charles Dupee, uh, Dupee, both my wife and I have appreciated and believe in what you've provided in your book. Thanks. Excellent work. Thank you so much, Charles. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and uh, Aspen provided uh, a link there to uh, more information. Mezzanine, good morning. We've seen you a few times, Mezzanine. Um, <clears throat> Omicron. Yeah, you know, everybody's looking at me thinking, Doc, it was Omicron. It could be. I I haven't tested for it. It's like, why? I'm at home. I will be at home for the next. I've been at home for like three weeks. I'll be at home until this coming. Uh, well, I, I've been at home for a while. So, I, and I don't leave the house very much when I when I do and when I am. Uh, Peter Grant, laugh out loud. Did you take a test? My grandfather got it and it was just a mild headache and runny nose. I, well, just answer that. No, I didn't. Um, for academic purposes, maybe I, you know it would have been great to know a little bit more about it. But again, I've been vaccinated twice and I had my booster. And I do think I had breakthrough infection a couple of times because I had two or maybe three episodes over the past since this summer. Uh, where I had sore throats. And um, in those three episodes, I had this weird thing that I'd never had before. I had this weird metallic oily taste back in my throat. So I really think that was breakthrough infection. I kept thinking, you know, I need to go get a test and confirm this because this would be interesting. But the thing was, None of these events, and including this this one I've had for the past couple of weeks, none of them have been events that um, I that challenged my uh, health at all. It was just you know other than just having a sore throat and some laryngitis. Uh, Peter Grant, COVID has changed how every hospital functions and how well a patient. Can, oh, that's the truth. <laughs> and that's obviously not the only thing COVID has changed. Um, asthma bin, bin Lodge. That's an interesting name. Asma, where are you from, Asma? I would love to hear. 
Um, <clears throat> Kurt Bryant, is there an IMT for other areas besides the carotid? Well, actually, sometimes even when you get an IMT here in the carotid area, they will sometimes go and do ephemeral IMT. And here's one of the most common reasons for doing it. If you see evidence that the patient has significant plaque, but then you do uh, carotids and you don't see any, then at that point we'll say, hmm, maybe we ought to check the femoral as well. Now, as you might imagine, there's a lot of data, a lot of, a lot of science about this, and the probability of having plaque in uh, one area, like the carotids, and not having it in the heart or not having it in the femoral area, other areas, is a little bit less. Than, it's about 2%. <coughs> um, and, you know, vice versa. So, again, that's why if we suspect it here in the neck, we don't see it. We'll, we'll check one other place just to make sure that, you know, at that point, you're talking about 2% times 2%. So it's just very rare to not see it in the neck, not see it femoral and still have some in the in the heart again or vice versa. So mezzanine, excellent discussion by Ivor Cummins and guests yesterday about inflammation and endothelial damage and cardiovascular disease and other issues. You know, yeah, you know, there was a time when I could almost rely that uh, most, the vast majority <laughs> of my uh, my folks had also seen Ivor's stuff. I was always a big fan of Ivor until he, he seemed to get really, uh, I, I don't know if militants, he, he got really into the COVID thing and disproving COVID and a whole bunch of other stuff and a sort of lost interest for a while, but hopefully he's back on track with, uh, with the cardiovascular topic and prediabetes. The other major difference with, uh, with Ivor's channel and ours has to do with, uh, funding. Ivor's channel is funded by the, uh, the Irish entrepreneur whose life was saved when he, uh, found a, uh, plaque cardiovascular plaque with a, um, uh, with a calcium score. So he really pushes calcium score. We push calcium score. We use it. It's a great thing. Look at our, our, uh, core, take our course on plaque. In fact, we strongly recommend calcium score, uh, CT angiogram, and, uh, most of all, uh, getting a good CIMT if, and when you can get one, because those three things are grossly underutilized and what's grossly overutilized, which, uh, Ivor and I both would agree with, uh, is stress tests. I mean, that's what the book is all about. Prevention myths, why a stress test will not predict your heart attack and which tests can. And again, it's those three, you know, the <clears throat> first of you're in your typical doctor's office, you start with your doctor doing some sort of mental shorthand for a Framingham, which uh, if you have more interest in it, we can talk more deeply about Framingham and what it actually is. But the bottom line is it's not a measurement, it's a guess. Uh, and there are challenges with the Framingham uh, calculator, the guess. Uh, I'm, not the, I'm not the only, I may be a crazy internet doc, which you know some people would think, but I'm not the only person talking about that. You, you go to Harvard, <laughs> you go to Hopkins, you go to uh, all the standard ac academic areas in medicine, they all say, have people saying the same thing. 
the most recent uh, Framingham is significantly flawed. For example, it tends to double the risk of the actual risk uh, for women. Uh, why is that? Well, there's been improvement in actual risks and the um, the current Framingham numbers tend to be about a decade old. So you'd say, well, if the current numbers are bad, why don't we use older ones? Well, the older ones are worse. So Framingham alone is not great. The other problem with Framingham is that you go to see your doc and your doc usually thinks he or she already knows it. Or uh, if they're not arrogant and they don't, and they recognize they really don't know the whole thing. They just don't have the time because they're seeing patients under an insured environment and they got to get you in and out with, and get you a script or something so they can get paid within seven to 10 minutes. And again, uh, that's, that's not a real Framingham. Uh, <clears throat> once they do their version of a Framingham, sometimes they'll say, you know what, you got some significant risk. Why don't we do a stress test? A stress test is a flow study. It looks at whether or not you're getting flow in your heart. Well, that's great if you're, it's not great. I mean, the problem is if you're not getting flow in your heart, usually we already know that. And that's not really the question. If you're not, if you have plaque that's impacting your flow, it's uh, the, the probability of you having a heart attack over the next 10 years is, over 40%, four over 10. It's over that if you have Im impairment of your blood flow. So, and if you have no plaque, it's in the area of two and a half percent or less. So the real question is, how do we do that estimate between that two and a half percent of no plaque or 40% of uh, probability if you have plaque that will show up on a stress test. And the vast majority, two thirds of the people that are going to have heart attack over the next 10 years don't have plaque that, that hits that 40% and they do have a little bit of plaque. It's not zero. That's where these other tests come in. The calcium score, the um, CIMT, the um, uh, CT angiogram. Uh, again, be very careful about going down that slippery slope of a stress test because uh, if a positive stress test will lead you to uh, going to the cath lab, getting a, a needle and a cath stuck up through your groin into your femoral artery, and uh, it's likely to lead sooner or later to a stent. Stents and bypass grafts have already been demonstrated. They don't predict but prevent a heart attack. Now, I always get haters when I say that. I'm, I'm just, you know, look the studies up, look my videos up, uh, the courage trial, the, uh, um, the ischemia trial. Now, let me clarify something. If you're having a heart attack and the doctor uh, is able to impact that heart attack with a stent, do it. Don't pass go. Take the stent. It, a stent as a treatment for a heart attack is fantastic. It works great in those situations where, where it will work. But here's the issue. 90% of stents are done to, quote, prevent a heart attack, despite the fact that the science is really clear that they don't do that. So 
I've gone off on my my uh, my tear, my rant, mezzanine. Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. Um, <clears throat> Peter Grant, you get five minutes at a cardio visit after waiting for an appointment. Usually waiting half an hour, an hour. I agree. And five minutes is, you know, here's the thing. What happens with you and your risk for heart attack is really driven much more by the time, the one or two or three months or six months between the time that you saw the doctor, uh, then it's much more impacted by what you do on a regular basis than the five minutes that you were in to see that doc. Again, that's part of what we do in the Alabama program. It was interesting as we recruited our docs and, and clinical staff, we would say, look, we're going to spend hours with this patient. And it's like, okay. You know, they listen to that for long enough. And then they start saying, I'll get the people will say, well, wait a minute. So what are you doing for, you know, a- after five, 10 minutes, I can understand getting the information, but for the next 45 minutes or whatever, what, what are you doing? You're just uh, talking about, uh, Alabama football or something? No, that's not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is the, does the patient know and understand what their clinical condition is? Do they know that they have plaque? Do they know that they have prediabetes? Do they know what it meant when their doctor said, oh, you got a touch of sugar? Or, you know, did again, did they know that they don't metabolize uh, sugars effectively? Do they know that, uh, that grain products are the major source of carbs in their diet? Or do they know that, you know, they're eating a whole lot of pasta, but they're saying, oh, you know what? I'm watching my sugar because I only use one teaspoon of sugar in my coffee in the morning now instead of two or three. And it's like, but yet you're eating pasta all day, three times a day. What it, it, it takes a lot more time and effort to help a patient deal with their the state the state of their disease with their health behaviors and then that didn't even none of that discussion got into uh, motivation to deal with health behaviors at all and motivation is to a large extent driven by knowledge knowledge of the extent of disease and what you can predict happening from that extent of disease and how you can impact that with your health behavior. So anyhow, I, I took your first comment and went off on a tangent. Let me, let me finish it up. So all because of COVID, the process took over a year to get an ablation scheduled for AFib. You know, you may, Peter, that's a great point, And you may be aware, uh, take a look at, I've got a series of videos on atrial fib. You see, I have atrial fib as well. I've got the 4Q25 gene. Uh, most people that have, number one, atrial fib, is very common. It is by far the most common uh, dysrhythmia or heart rhythm problem uh, by far. And like prediabetes, most of it's unrecognized. You'll get these little runs of atrial fib and you may or may not feel it. If you do feel it, you think, hmm, that was weird. I got a little flopping in my chest and it stops and you move on. Well, what we are finding is that more and more strokes that we used to think were strokes of un <laughs> excuse me strokes of unknown origin were actually due to atrial fib and it's not 
<laughs> the connection and mechanism is not that clearly understood, but here's the assumption. <clears throat> the assumption is that when you get these runs of atrial fibrillation, it's a chaotic um, uh, dysrhythm, dysrhythmia of the atria. And so the atria aren't able to completely um, contract and get that blood out of there. So blood pools there. And so maybe you're forming clots there. And when you shoot those clots out to your bloodstream, they're going up to the heart and causing, I mean, or the brain and causing a stroke. <clears throat> now, why did I go into all that mechanism? Well, here's one of the reasons, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> people that have cardiovascular issues, uh, plaque risk factors, we still do. And believe it, believe it or not, despite what you may have heard misinterpreted in the press, not only do I, but the American Heart Association and everybody else still recommends baby aspirin if you have cardiovascular disease, if you have plaque. But here's the thing. Baby aspirin doesn't do much of a job at preventing strokes associated with atrial fib. So that's the whole point. That's why atrial fib is so important. That's why it's so important to understand if you have atrial fib. The majority of us that have atrial fib don't know it. And that's why it's so important to know because you need to be on a different type of clot prevention uh, program. You need to be on one of the NOACs. So Peter Grant, thank you so much. <clears throat> you gave me an opportunity to go down a bunny hole that uh, I may have said it quite a few times on this channel, but again, most doctors are still ignoring it. And most patients are still ignoring it. And most there's most of those strokes, uh, so many strokes are preventable. Just if you know what's going on. Amer, mayor from Germany, thank you very much for the helpful discussion. Thank you so much for your recognition and your uh, consistency, Amer. Golden Rule, 1953. Hello, Dr. Brewer. Hello, Golden Rule. How are you today? Happy holidays. Cerezo Leroy. Ano naman next nji agenda nilaman. Well, I speak and read a little bit of Spanish. Doesn't look like that. So Cerezo, maybe you want to let us know where you're from and maybe put that question in English. Sorry. Uh, Asma Benchfield, I'm a pharmacist from Algeria. Thank you so much, Asma. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thank you so much for what you do in terms of um, helping the public uh, manage our health there in Algeria. And thank you for your interest today and your comments. Golden Rule, best way to reduce those tiny LDL particles. It's lifestyle. It's uh, what what happens is, <coughs> you know, they talk about, oh, it's LDL, it's cholesterol. You've got a hypercholesterolemia. You've got a hyperlipidemia. And that's what docs tend to focus on. But what they don't realize is what caused that in the first place. And then once you start stepping backwards and looking at root cause, again, I hate to say this. I hate to sound like a scratch record, but there's a lot of truth to this. It's true. You start seeing uh, folks getting into that aging process and getting into the um, insulin resistance. And then once you start getting into that insulin resistance, you start getting into problems with your uh, carbohydrate metabolism. 
I'm going to get real geeky for just a second um, because you asked. Um, if you look at if you look at and listen to folks like Thomas Day Spring, a world-renowned lipidologist, you know he'll say the same thing that many of us talk about, and that is the um, the lipid fractionation, the cholesterol fractionation, in many ways is more important than the routine cholesterol test that your, most of your doctors are relying on. And what's going on with this specifically is <clears throat> when you have a more of a carb, uh, a pre-diabetic, diabetic, diabetic uh, carb-driven metabolism going on, what happens is the large, the healthy, large, uh, fluffy LDLs, as well as the healthy, large, fluffy HDLs, usually carry cholesterol. When you get into pre-diabetes and some of these problems, that starts to change from carrying cholesterol to carrying fatty acids. Well, when a fatty acid laden LDL or HDL passes through the liver, it gets metabolized. So then what happens is you lose all of those large, healthy HDL and LDLs. So you ask, got a little geeky. Uh, and I know there's some geeks out there that enjoy that. So Bottom line, it's lifestyle. It's managing that insulin resistance. And first, before you manage it, you got to recognize it. So <clears throat> that's what this channel is about. Golden Rule 1953. Hope you feel better soon. Thank you. You know, I feel better for the most part. I thought I was over it uh, entirely two or three nights ago. And then I woke up at two in the morning with the hacking and coughing. And it's like, mm. so thank you. I hope I feel better too. Barry Davis, I'm a 60-year-old male with mild cardiovascular disease. wonder what mild means. I have frequent in injuries in the form of muscle strain when doing resistance exercise. Careful not to lift too heavy or too frequently. Well, you bring up a good point, Barry. You know, as we get older, uh, most of us start uh, losing, the, losing our muscle mass. And, you know, we get used to whatever... Uh, size we are. And so we, we're used to our legs being, you know, this size and things like that. But it's very interesting if you do um, uh, some imaging studies, you can look at uh, the muscle versus the fat. And what you'll see, I've got some videos where we show that. What you see is this may be the leg. And in the 30s and 40s, this is the leg and, and all of it except the, you know, this is the muscle. Well, and then once you're in your sixties and seventies, this is the total leg. And this is the muscle and all of the rest of that is fat. And you didn't know that because your legs stayed the same size. So that in and of itself is a huge driver of cardiovascular inflammation. So being a little old lady or a little old man may sound cute, but it's dangerous. And what's even more dangerous is not being a little old lady or being a little old man because your legs and arms are still the same size, but all that muscle has been replaced with fat or more of that muscle has been replaced with fat because muscle helps us in our, uh, in our carb metabolism. It pulls sugar right out of the blood, bypassing, failing uh, insulin receptors and body fat in and of itself drives further insulin resistance and cardiovascular ins inflammation. So thank you very much, Barry, for, 
giving us a chance to go down that bunny hole. Could this be related to cardiovascular disease? Well, just as we said, once you start losing that muscle mass, that is one of the major drivers, underlying drivers of cardiovascular disease. John Tocho, remember to hit the like button. Thank you so much, John. At this point, we've got one like button. Uh, we've got, gosh, at this point, we've got uh, $320, uh, 300 from LPG and uh, 20 from uh, someone else. So we've got a lot more dollars than we do like buttons and like buttons are cheap. You know, you don't have to, Oh, now we've just doubled our like buttons to two. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate the, uh, the reminder for the group. John Tocho, 53 watching and only 24 thumbs up. We can do better. Oh, well you see 24 thumbs up. I see only two. Thank you. And we're up to 63 watching now. Thanks. Uh, Brendan Lenane. I've seen that name a few times, Brendan. My calcium score seems to be all calcification in the LAD. You know, you're not alone, Brendan. The vast majority of calcification is in the LAD. Now that is known as the, it, it's known in the, in the area as quote, the widow maker. And everybody hears that and they shake in fear. Well, it's only the widow maker because if you're going to have plaque in the arteries of the heart, that's where it's going to start. And just almost always. So uh, don't panic so much when you hear the term Widowmaker. According to PubMed, Proscar or Finasteride elevates LP little a. Like many men have been taking this drug for many years, wondering if this is the cause. Brendan, <clears throat> I doubt it. Uh, what I would suggest, I mean, it, it may have... Uh, helped make it worse. But unless you've had a full-blown craft insulin survey or some sort of OGTT with insulin response, you're missing the biggest probability of what's going on. So thank you for bringing that up, Brendan. LPG, another $100. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And as we discussed, you are uh, doing a significant part, LPG, in helping us get this life-saving information out to the rest of the world. What are your thoughts regarding NAC, N-acetylcysteine, and its suggested use? So N-acetylcysteine is, I've got several videos on it. It is a very, it's a very good, very popular um, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. Now, it gets back to this whole concept about anti-inflammatories anti and especially antioxidants get back to that oxidation or mitochondrial theory of aging. It's you know, if you look at the concept that a mitochondria is the furnace which creates energy for the cell, um, furnaces burn up. Uh, you know, the old it, for those of you who've seen an old style uh, coal furnace, after years the the iron or steel uh, lining gets pockmarked and beat up and gets holes in it. And that's sort of what happens with mitochondria. And uh, you get these, uh, oxidation is how we create energy. You know, it's like burning. It's, uh, that's what happens in a furnace. A, a, a furnace is burning or oxidizing materials, whether it's oil, uh, wood, or coal. And guess what? Our cells, our mitochondria are little furnaces that burn glucose, and other carbon-carbon um, 
organic molecules. I won't get too deep, too geeky in that, but again, it's all burning carbon molecules, carb, uh, carbohydrates, um, proteins, fats. And when your body breaks down or in the furnace, when they're burning and uh, oxidizing, they're breaking down those oxygen or those carbon-carbon bonds or those carbon-hydrogen bonds, and they're putting oxygen in those bonds. Well, when you go from carbon-carbon uh, to uh, or carbon-hydrogen to carbon-oxygen, you get carbon dioxide. And when the oxygen, when the hydrogen combines with oxygen, you get H2O, water. So you get uh, carbon dioxide and uh, water as, as an output. But again, you start getting holes in these mitochondrial furnaces and this these burning oxidizing embers are lying around. They burn up the, um, they burn holes in your cell or, you know, they burn things. They create uh, destroyed tissue. So things like, that's what the, the antioxidant or antioxidant um, activities are. That's why you've seen so much of a huge increase in the, quote, antioxidant vitamins, A, E, I think C. Uh, the reality is those are helpful, but your own body has, a, it has its own way of dealing with this. And usually if your body has a way of dealing with this, it's, it's usually more effective. Um, <clears throat> You may have heard of methylators. Uh, methylation is a way of reversing that oxidation. It's adding a full methyl group, carbon and uh, carbon with two or three uh, or four methyl, I mean, hydrogens on it. That's a methyl group. And that is a, uh, an antioxidant. So <clears throat> genetically, what we found is that there's some very important um, methylation uh programs. You get the vitamin B complex. Um, and that vitamin B complex is used uh, with methyl groups to go back and add methyl groups to places, those burning embers, those um, burning oxidized uh, particles, and to put the fire out. Well, here's another thing that happens. If you may have heard of things called poor methylators. I'm a poor methylator. It's not unusual, about half of us. There are three or four different significant major methylation pathways. And um, we can test for those genetically. I, you know, I used to work with a genetics lab and had mine tested. And yes, I'm a poor methylator. So you get into all of this. <clears throat> Pardon me if I went too geeky for some of you there. I think I know there's a lot of interest in methylation. So how do you see that on a practical basis? What is that? I mean, that's all the geeky stuff. What's the practical stuff? Well, if, look at your homocysteine on your labs. If your homocysteine is elevated, it's been shown to be a significant risk for heart attack and stroke, cardiovascular disease. If you have that elevated homocysteine, uh, that's usually associated with poor methylation. Uh, we, they didn't know that in the past. They do now. Now, wh what do you do for that? Well, you could go back and get the genetic testing like I did, I, but I wouldn't recommend paying for it. Here's what I would recommend doing. There's a, there's a simple thing that you do for it. Uh, you take methylated B-complex vitamins. They, you know, because of the recognition of that problem, there's some really good, you know, just get a, uh, what I routinely recommend for my patients is uh, THORNE, T-H-O-R-N-E, and 
having set a brand name, I will get D, uh, what do you call it? Demonetized. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, Thorn, there are multiple other really good uh, products out there. I don't get paid by Thorn. Um, there, you know, Doctors Best, several others, uh, other really good uh, products. And it's a methylated B complex. That's a very practical way. It's cheaper than getting a, a methylation test. And that's what you do if you have elevated homocysteine. I know you talked about uh, NAC, and that's and I took that in a whole bunch of different ways. NAC is another way of dealing with that. So, yes, I have taken NAC uh, many times. Uh, I'm not active with it right now, but as I mentioned, I'm a poor methylator. And so uh, I do the most important stuff, and that is lifestyle management, decreasing my body fat. Um, increasing my muscles, uh, doing uh, high intensity interval work, a little bit of uh, basic aerobic work, um, and uh, watching my carbs because I've got major uh, insulin resistance. Uh, insulin resistance, by the way, is a major oxidation problem as well. Peter Grant, NAC can't hurt, only help, and I would agree. Kurt Bryant. Just to clarify, if you have plaque on a CIMT, you should probably have it throughout the body. Kurt, thank you very much. You're exactly right. If you've got it in your neck, you've probably got it in your heart. And so the thing is, and you've got it in the arteries going to the brain. So, uh, yes. Now, here, speaking, to go back to the CIMT, why do I recommend CIMT? CIMT is the only uh, measurement imaging device that actually shows us whether or not we have soft plaque. As we mentioned a couple of times earlier on when we were talking about vascular function testing, it's, the so it's not the hard plaque that causes a problem. It's the soft plaque that leaks out, causes the clot, and the clot goes to the heart or the brain. So the only way you're going to get good clarity on whether or not you have soft plaque is with a CIMT. World Traveler, I had a CIMT for the first time at 74 years old. Excellent results for me, but the radiologist spotted nodules in my thyroid. That happens. Recommended follow-up, had an echo of my thyroid, parathyroid, and I was okay. Thank you so much, World Traveler, for sharing that. Jonathan Hull, good morning, Dr. B. How, how accurate, true or false, negative, are the COVID tests that can be purchased at CVS? I don't know. As, as I mentioned, you know, I started out with the early parts of the COVID uh, uh, pandemic, trying to provide a lot of, of science. I got dogpiles when I covered things like vaccine. And, you know, I just continued to get dogpiled. And what I mean by dogpile is that uh, a whole bunch of anti-vaxxers or anti-COVIDers or anti-whatever would find that on the topic. They join and they'd start burying us in comments that were just not very productive. At the end of the day, I think we're getting to much more of a practical approach to this. For example, with Omicron, uh, you know, uh, if you're comfortable getting a vaccine, get vaccinated and, you know, you'll get some you'll probably get some exposure. You will get some exposure. We're all going to get exposed to this if we haven't been already. Um, I, I think I'll just leave that alone at that point. I, COVID's not really uh, impacting my personal um, 
daily activities very much these days. And again, I apologize. I don't know how well the CVS uh, tests are doing. I will say this, you know, the tests overall, if you go back and you, you, you like myself, you're a physician and epidemiologist, you've looked at the, uh, the problems with tests and you've looked at genetics. It, it's a PCR, you know, the PCR tests, for example, are a major problem. All of the tests are very difficult. Um, the, um, the antigen tests, the, the regular tests, you've got to hit it at the right amount. You've got to hit the right place where you're going to have significant um, uh, antigen. You've got to get enough of the antigen and the test has to work. You know, and all of those things have to happen for the test to work appropriately. Uh, you, typically, you, you do this a day or two earlier and there's not enough antigen. You do it a day or two late and there's not enough antigen. So the bottom line is there are a lot of false negatives. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole set of reasons on why you can get false positives. Peter Grant, uh, problem with all supplements is lack of testing the products. There's very, yeah, there's not enough science behind most of these. And it's because companies aren't making a whole lot of money off of them. Uh, like big pharma makes with um, prescription medications. Uh, Peter says, I had a nurse tell me about pure encapsulations. Their testing is very good. There are some groups that test very well. Uh, some issues like AFib are pure electrical and the patient can't change that. Well, uh, Peter, actually, uh, you know, even with atrial fib, uh, I got up to a point at one point in time when I was mostly focused on, I was not watching my lifestyle as much as I could. My weight had gone up. I had had some blood pressure problems and I was having some sleep problems. And if you look at atrial fib and you talk to your, um, your ablation doc, your interventional cardiologist, they'll tell you, look, you really have to get, um, you have to get uh, an ablation. That's the only thing that's going to fix this. And the reality is that's not true. I personally declined a recommendation uh, from one of the best cardio uh, interventional cardiologists, one of the best ablation experts in the region. I lost about 10 pounds. I cranked up my lifestyle. Uh, my sleep improved. And my uh, episodes plummeted. And that was like two years ago. So, you know, it sounds like, well, it's electrical. The patient can't do anything about that. Not true. The patient can. Um, the big things that drive atrial fib and these episodes of atrial fib are the ability to sleep well and high blood pressure. And those two things are both in turn driven by uh, driven by your your weight. So first thing I would do is make sure that I, were at the prop, I was at the proper weight. LPG, Peter Grant, check out Thorn. Their stuff is very good. I agree that, as I mentioned, LPG, I, that's the one I tend to use. Peter Grant, you're a good doctor. We need more like you. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate that. $20 um, super chat. Uh, Bart Robinson, also Doctors Best, uh, Now and Jero are reputable. Yes, they are. Doctors Best, as I think I mentioned, 
I thought I mentioned. Uh, now I'm not familiar with. Jero's also very good. So again, we've mentioned enough brand names now to where this surely won't get um, get ad revenue. Peter Grant always brought. I always bought Jero until this nurse told me about pure encapsulation. Charles DePee. Plan to have CIMT in January. Cardio risk directed me to a doctor in my hometown. Can I be assured this doctor will provide the info needed for you to analyze? That doctor doesn't provide it. Todd and his folks uh, provide it. And let me you know, let me take this opportunity to set up a warning. Um, well, we've uh, uh, in a f- be careful if the doctor walks in and wants to give you his or her interpretation. I had a doctor in Florida. Uh, that was getting these done. And actually it was a baildonine doctor. It's a doctor that I've met before and I've had multiple patients say, look, he came in and told me that he sees all these patients, sees all of us. He actually ended up seeing um, a a bunch of my patients who then transferred to his care. Um, Unfortunately, what he said was, well, I know Brewer talks about a low carb diet. I don't, I don't recommend that. And uh, just be careful um, if the doc himself or herself wants to come in and, and talk with you. Um, Most of them are great. Some of them, not so much. But again, the report that you get from Todd and his folks is not going to be written by the doc. It's not going to be impacted by the doc. It will be, uh, written and controlled and developed and provided to us by Todd and his folks. It's a great comment. Thank you so much, Charles. Uh, Rahul Sharma. Hi, Doc. Have you seen cases where patients have reversed their heart blockages with zero physical activity, but only nutritional change? Well, zero, no. But here's the thing. You can't outrun a diet. Uh, what, I, what I will say, I mean, you can get these, uh, watch these videos where you've got the guy up on the treadmill and then a guy next to him sitting at a card table with pizza and beer in front of him. And they've got the calorie counter going. Well, you know, the guy that's running like crazy, his calorie counter is going like this. And the guy that's eating pizza and drinking beer, his calorie counter is going like that. So the bottom line is uh, diet is critical. It is Priority number one, two, and three. Sleep is important. Uh, exercise is very important. But you can't outsleep and you can't outrun a diet problem. Thank you, Rahul. No trash in heaven. Saying hello. Thank you and happy new year to you, Dr. B, and your team. Thank you so much. No trash. Appreciate your geeky rabbit trails. Gets me wanting to learn more. Thanks again. No trash. Question, is there another way to support you other than YouTube? Oh, yeah, we've got, hey, um, there, there we go. Aspen, as usual, is right on top of it. You can donate through Patreon. You can donate using PayPal. You can do, and then, of course, the YouTube Live. So uh, Patreon is a great way to do it. Um, it's a, a weekly thing. You know, we thought about doing this buy me a cup of coffee, but we're just not there yet. Um, and Patreon is a very similar way of doing that. Um, thank you. Uh, no trash. Appreciate the question. LPG, another hundred dollars. Thank you so much, LPG. We really appreciate that. 
What are your thoughts on taking two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil daily with a meal or in a kale shake for overall health? I think that's a great way to deal with it because we do know that, you know, you bring up a good point, LPG. A lot of people say, oh, you know what? Don't, you you can't, you either got a low carb diet or you've got um, an animal-based diet. Uh, you know, the reality is I've proven that you can go all the way from to low carb and even uh, keto on a plant-based diet. So it's real easy to confuse low carb and plant versus animal. The reality is if you can't metabolize carbs, those are the, those are dangerous for you to, uh, to eat. And we already know there are a lot of very, very healthy plant-based oils, avocado oil, uh, extra virgin olive oil. And we've done several videos on extra virgin olive oil, how to know what it is. You get that sort of a biting taste with it. And yeah, I can't, I can't um, say enough that those are great ways to go. Now we used to think that uh, animal Fats were bad for you, saturated fats. You know, the the science has changed a lot in that area. It's pretty clear saturated fats are not bad for you. On the other hand, uh, it that science also doesn't say, oh, no, they're great for you. And there is science showing that extra virgin olive oil is good for you. So um, it's a great, great point. It's a great, simple little uh, health habit. Replace a few calories, replace a meal with a kale shake with extra vol- extra virgin olive oil. Thank you again so much, LPG. Uh, Barbara Flint, have done keto and lowered triglycerides and HDL ratio, but can't lower glucose 110 and hemoglobin A1C of 5.5. Would you suggest niacin? Niacin tends to push glucose metabolism in the wrong direction. So be careful about using it. Um, I work out with weights and am so and am tofi so frustrated. Uh, have high calcium scores as well. well. Barbara, um, <clears throat> you probably have a significant level of insulin resistance, maybe even uh, diabetes. Once you get challenged, once you begin to see that, then you may find that there are some other things you need to do, and uh, uh, sometimes that might include a prescription. Uh, medication. So I would take a little bit deeper look at exactly what my situation is, if I were you, Barbara. Um, and you can call, if you'd like for us to help you on that, Michelle can get can help you get set up. You can call her at 859-721-1414. Thank you so much, Aspen. 859-721-1414. LPG, these Q&As are awesome. Great job. Thank you so much, uh, LPG. I do appreciate that. And again, we appreciate your financial uh, support on getting this information out there. Peter Grant, also, you can't outrun your genetics. Well, that's a good point, Peter, but here's the thing. You say, well, you can't outrun genetics. That's true. Genetics loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. So you don't have to pull the trigger. You don't have to get too heavy. You don't have to replace, let your body replace a bunch of muscle with body fat. That's what lifestyle is all about. 
Mezzanine, coming up on five years since my positive calcium score, 64, age 52. In 5'9", five, uh, five 138 pounds, low-carb diet, resuvastatin three times a week, aggressive supplement protocol, exercising daily, aerobic weights, HIIT retest. Ah, uh, gosh, you know, I, 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 I have seen a lot more trouble come from repeat calcium scoring. You can. You can actually get a decrease in calcium score. I've I've reported on it with a couple of people. John Lorscheider in our group reported on it. Uh, Jerry Kurth reported on it. But it's uncommon. It doesn't happen very often. And so usually what happens is the opposite. If you have a question about this, uh, go to my video, Ford, Ford Brewer YouTube Honda study, H-O-N-D-A. And what that Honda study shows is that you actually have far less risk once you get calcification of that plaque. So calcification in and of itself is not a bad thing. And so why is a positive calcium score and growing a calcium score a big deal? Overall, if somebody has a zero calcium score, it can, you can have nothing but soft plaque. That's not usually what happens. We're actually going to report on that, that issue in an upcoming video. I don't think we've done that one yet. If we did, somebody correct me. Now, so in the short run, if you have soft plaque, you do want to replace it with calcified plaque because that's stable. Soft plaque isn't calcium. Uh, calcified plaque is. And so mezzanine, here's the issue and here's the problem. I get so many patient, patients that come on board, they, they lose the weight they need to lose, they, they get back on the wagon, they do the right lifestyle. And, in, and instead of getting a decrease in calcium, they get an increase. And so then they get all upset. And it's like, don't do that. Don't, uh, don't get upset if you're if your improvement in your lifestyle results in calcification of your plaque. So we just had a, okay, here we go. Peter Grant, uh, I've used only the best EVOO. For those of you who don't know what EVOO means, it's extra virgin olive oil. And again, we've done a few videos on that. Used only the best my entire life, still wound up with two silent heart attacks and an atrial fib. Big thing is switch back to butter versus spreads. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I agree. And I think that's real, but here's the thing. I don't think spreads caused your heart attack. They rarely are what causes the heart attack. It's usually, uh, in, you know, you, you eat spreads in your twenties and you don't have heart attacks, but it's when you start getting insulin resistant that you start getting these grass fed butter only. Yes, I, I do think that makes that there is validity to that. Barbara Flint, thank you, thank you, Barbara. Ronnie Hermes, where are you from, Ronnie? Are some people, are some people would do better with more carbs? <clears throat> we used to think that carbs were not a problem if you don't have a carb metabolism issue. Uh, evidence is coming out that, yeah, they do tend to cause some issues, but not not bad. Uh, not so much, but they do. I'd have had several patients that did add a few carbs back. <laughs> the most common, <coughs> excuse me, the most common reason for adding carbs back would be they just 
uh, couldn't get enough fats in there to maintain their, the body weight that they wanted. And usually I'll say, uh, what body weight do you really want to have? Because most of us think that a BMI of 22 is too thin. And that's not at all the case. Go back and look at, you know, Fred Astaire and some of the, uh, look at old, old videos, old movies. We have really gotten weird about what we think is, quote, a healthy weight. We've gotten weird in that space. A healthy weight in your typical perception these days is overweight. It's too much fat, too much body fat. Uh, <clears throat> another reason why I've seen some people add some carbs back, sometimes when they're adjusting, trying to get a, they're having a problem with uh, uh, dawn effect, early morning glucose. And again, I haven't seen dangerous levels of early morning glucose in somebody that was not significant out of control diabetic. The kind of people that we're talking about with just basic dawn effect really should not be that worried about that. Ronnie Hermes, are some people, oh, okay. Uh, Ken Patu, can anything be inferred from an extremely high calcium score in two arteries and zero, no, in zero in the other two? No, evidence of poor silent heart attack? No, not really. Um, it's a good question, but it doesn't, it, it, if it works that way, I've never seen it. So, Jimmy, is it possible or have you seen cases to recuperate arteries that are blocked after you've had a bypass surgery? What strategies do you recommend? Um, <clears throat> yes, you've seen what's called uh, re... Um, Mm, I'm blanking on the clinical term, but re, uh, re-infiltration, there's a couple of other terms too. You can see actual um, um, regrowth of flow through a blocked artery. It's not very common. More often you see, uh, most often what you'll see is growth of other ways of getting the blood to there. It's like there's some, um, what's the, the, there's an engineering term, uh, overabundance. You know, it's where you have uh, five fingers or four fingers and a thumb rather than just, you know, you may use two or three fingers mostly. You have uh, redundance. Redundancy is the, the uh, engineering term. You've got redundancy in these arteries that supply the heart. And what you'll often see is you'll get a blockage of the uh, left anterior descending, the widowmaker, and other areas that um, that provide uh, blood flow will grow and provide more blood flow. That's by far, by far the most common uh, growth adaptation. You'll also see some actual growth of new vessels, things like that. <clears throat> Jimmy, is it possible? Uh, okay, so we're getting some repetition here. Lou Ortiz, Dr. Brewer, would Crestor help reduce soft plaque and make it calcified? Yes. Uh, that's what I do. You know, people give me a lot of hating for this. I've been a statin hater from day one. I actually probably delayed my own statin um, for about three years. Um, but I do take low-dose statins, and I do recommend low-dose statins if you have plaque. If you have plaque, 
at that point, you've got cardiovascular disease. And I recommend two things. Uh, obviously, besides the lifestyle issues, I recommend that you do take a low-dose statin. Rarely will I recommend a high-dose statin because statins, there's a, well, and I also recommend maybe aspirin um, because you have shown now you're in a different risk category. Remember, we went back and we talked about you went from uh, 2% uh, 10-year risk to somewhere between uh, 2 and 40%, usually 10 to 20% risk. And you can knock that back down to the 2% with lifestyle. And um, again, uh, a couple of medications. One is the baby aspirin to, to uh, keep that when, when and if you develop a hot plaque, you're not going to feel it. You're not going to know it. So uh, the, um, the baby aspirin will keep you, uh, if that hot plaque goes in, excuse me, goes in and, and touches the bloodstream, it'll decrease the formation of, uh, of clots. And there's a thing called pleomorphism or pleiotrophic mechanisms. That's a $10 word for a very simple concept. P-L-E-I-O, pleo. Have you ever heard of the Pleiades? That's like the seven sisters or the nine sisters or something. It's a constellation and, and it's just a whole lot of sisters. The prefix plea is scientifically in astronomy and medicine means multiple. It turns out that statins have a pleiotrophic mechanism. Not only do they decrease LDL, they also have been demonstrated to decrease cardiovascular inflammation. And it was discovered by a couple of guys named Gavin Blake and, oh, now I'm blanking on his name. Somebody remind me. Uh, it was right at the tip of my tongue. They were at Harvard and they did this with the, um, the Jupiter trial, the WASCOP. They first started noticing it in studies like the WASCOPs studies. And what they found was whether your LDL was low or high, whether it was, they even found people where their LDL was lower and it got higher, but they still had decreased heart attacks when they went on a statin. So Gavin Blake and his friend, who's really more well known for it than Gavin, and I'm, I have, it's not a senior moment. I had these blanking things that started in the fourth grade and have never left me. Um, <clears throat> anyhow, he was the same guy that did the, uh, the compass trial. Um, so anyway, uh, what they found was that uh, statins also decrease cardiovascular inflammation. They decrease that part where your immune system starts attacking that plaque and therefore creating those clots. So that's what they did. And yes, that's, and, and the other thing that they found out was there are certain statins that are better than others in this space. And really low dose statins are what's necessary, not high dose. So uh, with the very low doses that we use, we, it's rare that we get significant uh, uh, side, statin side effects. Uh, for example, with Crestor, five milligrams at most per day. Usually we'll do like two and a half uh, or often we'll do two and a half every other day or twice a week. Um, <clears throat> Lavalo or Patavastatin is a low dose, kinder, gentler uh, statin. And we use a lot of that. In fact, mostly what we use is very low dose uh, resuvastatin or Lavalo. 
Uh, we don't we don't recommend use of uh, Lipitor. Lipitor is great at decreasing LDL, but it's not so good at inflammation, especially in two situations. One is if you're a female. Well, that's half the population already, unless you consider the fact that uh, males get into this first. But the reality is once you age adjust, you get issues with females, too. Uh, it's the number one cause of female death as well. It's it's not a gender-related issue. Heart attacks occur in both genders. So there you go. Half your population, uh, Lipitor doesn't do uh, as well with cardiovascular inflammation. Here's the bigger issue, though. If you, um, if you have prediabetes, well, that's over 80% of the population that's having cardiovascular disease. If you have prediabetes or diabetes, Lipitor is not as good at decreasing cardiovascular inflammation. Now, I get a whole bunch of questions about that. Well, Doc, where did you get that? We're actually going to cover that again. Um, I found an old video that we did that covered that. We're going to cover it again in a few weeks, so stay tuned. LPG12338 at Peter Grant. Thank you for your comments. I would agree. Barbara Flint, is a statin dose of 2.5 milligrams two times a week of Crestor at all effective? Oh, yeah. In fact, Barbara, what they've done is they've demonstrated that um, that dose at once a week has an impact. So absolutely. Now, can you do those every other day or twice a week or, or once a week doses with other statins like Lipitor? No. See, I mean, like uh, Lavalo. And the answer is no. See, the half-life for uh, Crestor is 17 hours. And the half-life for other statins is on like three or four hours. So it's a very, very different half-life, a different um, length of stay in the body. Uh, Brian Smucker, what evidence is there that it's called kinetics, by the way? Uh, what evidence is there that pancreatic insulin dysfunction may actually develop independently or precede insulin resistance? Well, most people as they age get insulin resistance, but a whole lot of people get type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is failure of pancreatic insulin function. And you can get that in the 20s, you get it in the 30s. You know, we did a video. I actually had a friend who had, who developed diabetes and it just, she went from nothing to really bad diabetes. And this was in her late 50s. And we talked about her case. I don't think we used her name. Um, but what we, what we demonstrated and what we showed is that when people get diabetes in their 50s, we all, all, almost always, everybody assumes that it was type 2 diabetes. In other words, insulin resistance was the primary dysfunction and not pancreatic. But that's not the case. In fact, as we age, you still have that same low but real incidence level of type 1 diabetes. So you get type 1 diabetes even in 50-year-olds. Brian Smucker in the development of type 2 diabetes. Well, if, if it's primarily pancreatic dysfunction, it's type 1. Uh, Ronnie Hermes, I had my gallbladder removed, and keto gives me diarrhea. And the only way to avoid it is to combine fats with some carbs. Well, that's maybe another reason. I haven't run into that one yet. Ronnie, thank you for sharing. Peter Grant, Crestor is a game changer. Tests prove it. Yep. And there's a whole bunch of Crestor haters out there. I'm not one of them. Uh, mezzanine, evening 
uh, evening ACV may have a positive influence on the dawn effect. Not sure what evening ACV is. Uh, Crestor has actually reduced plaque in lab rats. Yeah, it has. There's no question. In fact, you know, my number one video is how I decreased my own uh, arterial age plaque from that of a 73-year-old to a 53-year-old. And uh, that was probably more due to, yeah, I made some lifestyle changes, but the reality is I had to admit, it's probably more due to addition of Crestor than anything else. And here's what you tend to see. I mean, I'm not the only person that's talked about reversal of plaque. People, your typical doctor says, no, that doesn't happen. No, that's not true. I mean, you, you go to, there was a Harvard Health thing for, I think it was Harvard Health for Men where they talked about it. And they said, yeah, you do get reversal of plaque. It's not common, but here's the places where you tend to see it. Somebody that loses like 30 pounds, and I've got plenty of that, plenty of those folks but also somebody that have never had a statin before that takes a statin. Now, here's one of the other things that you need to think about and realize. Are you actually pulling LDL out of the plaque? I don't think so. So when you, you have to understand what plaque really is. Soft plaque especially is full of fluid. It's full of cells. It's full of cytokines, you know, different things that cause problems. Well, when you stabilize that plaque, whether it's from loss of weight or from and a decreased uh, inflammogenic uh, impact from all that body fat, weight loss, or whether it's from the cardiovascular uh, inflammation impact of Crestor or other statins, you get this massive decrease of uh, cytokines, inflammatory cells, liquid in that plaque. It's no longer soft and it's shrinking as it adds calcium and stabilizes. It can go the other way fast if you fall off the wagon. But when you consider that's what's really going on, and we've got, if you have questions about this, you want to see actual pictures, we've got those pictures in our, um, our plaque evaluation course. We actually look at plaque. Oh, here's where you really get a lot of those pictures. In the cardiovascular inflammation course, we take we get we take a lot of the um, uh, actual photomicrographs of plaque, and we show how it's just full of inflammatory cells. We use slow down that inflammation. You take the plaque out. I mean, you take the uh, inflammatory cells out. You're going to get shrinkage of the plaque, and that's going to look like quote reversal of plaque. So great question, Peter. Thank you so much for bringing uh, Barbara Flint. No, I'm not sure what that means. Bill H., why prescribe Crestor instead of Lipitor, vice versa? Bill, I hope you got that. I did cover that a few minutes ago. Bottom line is uh, I'm really more interested in the decrease in, in cardiovascular inflammation. You don't get some, uh, both of these, uh, Crestor and Lipitor will decrease LDL, which I'm not quite so interested in. But uh, if you're a woman or if you're if you have insulin resistance, which is most of us, most of the remaining men, then Lipitor doesn't decrease cardiovascular inflammation as much as Crestor. Barbara Flint, is it OK to take two? Point five Crestor twice a week if I get chest discomfort, are you getting chest discomfort from from the from that? And if you have, I haven't seen that. And if you have. How do you know? Uh, Thomas Handyside, Paul Rid. Thank you, Thomas. Paul Ridker. You remember a few minutes ago, I was saying there were two guys, two smart guys that 
you know, they analyzed the Jupiter trial. And I said, one of them did the compass trials and uh, several other inflammation related trials. Uh, Paul Ritker and Paul Ritker is the one that's still there. He's still doing a lot of cardiovascular inflammation trials. Thank you so much, Thomas, for helping me deal with my senior moments. Uh, Peter Grant, Lipitor gave me terrible nighttime leg cramps. Crestor, no cramps. Well, thanks, Peter. Alan Turnell, does Crestor increase blood sugar? Clearly, once you start getting up into the popular doses of 10 milligrams a day, 20 milligrams, I even had a patient whose GP uh, saw something and immediately wanted to go to 40 milligrams of Crestor a day. Now, that's going to drive blood sugar problems. But these lower doses don't. The... Uh, and that's the big attraction. That's why uh, Lavalo or patavastatin is so expensive. It is a different type of statin. And it actually, it does decrease cardiovascular information. That, that information is crystal clear out there now. But um, it doesn't have, any, it's the only statin which at any dose given does not impact insulin resistance. That's why Lavalo is still so expensive. That and the fact that they still have their their patent intact. Jersey Jeeper Collaterals. Yes, thank you so much. We were talking about how you get that collateral, um, other vessels growing in to provide provide, uh, blood supply in the heart. Pavel Korda, where are you from, Pavel? Some comments about the study showing that centenarians have high LPLA levels and some advice on how to reduce LPA. Thank you for your amazing job, Dr. Thank you so much, Pavel, for your comment. And I'm not sure which um, studies you're talking about, but um, thanks for the comment. Uh, Peter, looking for a new statin led me to this YouTube channel, Googling Crestor. Oh, oh, that's interesting. I've, you know, I've seen uh, quite a few directions into my channel, like reversal of plaque, but I haven't seen that one on Googling Crestor. Uh, Jacob Morris, may I ask how much Crestor you take for the pleiotropic effects? As we discussed, low dose is what you need. And I, five milligrams of Crestor per day is the highest that I'll routinely use. Um, and we go much lower, as we discussed a few minutes ago. Ronnie Armiz, thank you, doctor, for answering my question. You're very welcome, Ronnie. Brendan Lenane, 200 milligrams for Crestor cramps. Are you talking about... Um, CoQ10? GP tells GP tells me tonic water will not work, do it. Yeah, what they're looking at, on, what people are talking about there is uh, quinine. Barbara Flinton. Barbara, now, first you said no, now you said yes. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Alexander Cook, V-O-H-F-O-Y. Uh, Bill H., why prescribe Questor instead of Lavalo or vice versa? I mistyped a while back and, and typed Lipitor. Lavalo is expensive. Most in, it's not lost its patent, and uh, they know that um, it's the only one that's got a reputation for not having Im- impacted uh, insulin resistance. So it's expensive. And guess what? Most insurance companies, I- I'll prescribe it if the patient. I- I'll have this discussion whenever I have a patient, and will and I'll be happy to prescribe it. There are a few insurance companies that don't push back, but most insurance companies will ha- say you have to go through a lot of trials of other statins before they're going to pay for Lavalo. Now, we also do have uh, overseas. We can write you a script. Uh, you can get it from uh, Canada Pharmacy Online. Uh, 
and there's probably some sort of regulatory oversight that would like to shut me down for saying that, but we do that as well. Jacob Morris, I'm only interested in the pleiotropic effects of Crestor. What's the most typical dosage you prescribe to patients who want the anti-inflammatory benefits? So we've said this a couple of times, Jacob. I hope you got it. And you know, maybe you maybe you typed this before we said it, but five milligrams Crestor or less per day. Five milligrams per day or less. Uh, Brendan Lenane, 200 milligrams of quinine. Oh, okay, Crestor cramps, tonic water won't do it. Uh, Barbara Flint, statins make my heart hurt, but trying to take a low dose of Crestor. My BJJ would agree with the comment regarding Ivor Cummins. I liked his videos until he went a bit off the deep end with COVID. That's so true. Thanks, BJJ. Bill H., why prescribe Crestor instead of... Okay, we got that. We answered that. Jacob Morris, so Lavalo is equivalent anti-inflammatory without increasing <coughs> insulin resistance. Oh, yeah, definitely. No question. For a while, I took the uh, Canada Online um, Lavalo as well. I, I, I keep bouncing back and forth personally between low-dose Crestor and Lavalo. <clears throat> Part of it's for demonstration, <coughs> excuse me, demonstration purposes for my uh, patients and the folks out there in uh, YouTube land and part of it's because of my own insurance. I keep retiring and I'll go on a different kind of insurance and then I'll get started in a paid job again and my insurance changes. Pavel Corda, I'm from Spain. Oh, neat. How to decrease LP little a, some advice. LP little a is a great one. It's a great uh, bunny. We'll go there for a few minutes. It's very common. <coughs> medicine doctors in medicine have known about it for a while, but they didn't know anything you could do about it. <laughs> so guess what? They didn't tell patients about it. They didn't test for it and they just ignored it. So a whole lot of docs never even knew about it. I didn't know about it until quite a decade ago. LP little a is a type of LDL. You know, we talk about apolipoprotein B is the type of protein that forms First of all, these, these cholesterol particles are proteins which attach uh, cholesterol so you can move cholesterol through the body. If you didn't have those proteins to create these microscopic cholesterol particles, you would, well, you can't see this. This has got water in it. But it'd be the same thing, you know, when you eat a salad and you've got oil or olive oil or something that has oil or fat in it, if you ate it, and it went from your GI tract, your stomach, your intestines into your bloodstream, which is almost is mostly water. Then you'd get these little, it would form a, you know, a big uh, blob of fat. That big blob of fat can kill you. It's called a fat embolus. And you, you see that in medicine when people have major trauma, like a car wreck and they break bones. <laughs> now, that's why you have cholesterol panel, um, then different proteins that form these microscopic particles form different types of particles. Uh, lipoprotein A forms HDL, lipoprotein B forms all the others. There's a slight difference in the lipoprotein that forms LDL and the others in people that have LP little a. It's got a little, uh, it's got this little amino acid hook that comes off the side. And that hook is made up of what we call um, Kringle repeats. Yes, Kringle like Chris Kringle. Um, so that LP little a 
that version of LDL <coughs> is inflammatory. Now, <coughs> some people think it's because, well, those Kringle repeats form a hook and that hook hooks in. That may be the case, but th there's other issues too. <coughs> the protein that forms LP little a also tends to uh, encourage soft dense oxidized LDL or LDL oxidation. So you've got a lot of things going on with LP little a that causes risk for heart attack and stroke. Now, if you go back, uh, so that's a little bit of the geeky science. Now, what's the, what's the practical application? Well, again, now folks are starting to pay attention to it. We used to say, and if you have questions about it, you can go, uh, I've got a ton of videos on LP little a. Um, it really became prime time when Bob Harper announced that he had a hit a heart attack associated with LP little a Bob Harper was on the, um, excuse me, the show. He was the trainer on the show, the biggest loser. So he was in his, in his fifties in great shape, exercised all the time. One day he was doing his own exercise in a, uh, I think it was a, Oh, I can't remember, remember the, the group, but it was on a Sunday and he collapsed and had a heart attack or had a heart attack and collapsed. And people said, gosh, you know, this is like one of the ultimate physical trainers exercising all the time. And he had a heart attack and he's in his 50s. Oh, my Lord, what's going to happen? Well, he came out a week later and said, I had LP little a and I got that from my mom. So people began LP little a hit the headlines. Um, now, there's another reason that LP little a has hit the headlines recently and, it is, and stays there. There's a new drug for it. It's called anti-sense drug, anti-A-N-T-I-S-E-N-S-E. -E. And for those of you who are like anti-mRNA, uh, you may be worried about this drug too. Uh, <clears throat> it's associated with the mRNA. What, what they do is they, they go in, they've developed a drug which fits hand in glove into the mRNA that forms the protein for LP little a. And it basically just sort of neutralizes that LP little a pro protein. And it's working great in terms of the amount of LP little a that you see out there. It's dropping it by 80%. Now, there's, the longevity studies haven't shown yet, but we expect that they're going to show a significant positive thing. But we don't know enough about side effects and things like that. We've had treatments in the past, things like uh, just pulling it out of the blood. Uh, thesis, I'm blanking on the the uh, the technical term for it. Uh, but we've had a supplement from day one that impacts it. It's called niacin. And if you have if you have an LP little a problem, and you haven't tried niacin, then you should. It's very simple, very inexpensive. Here's the other thing I would say, you know, <clears throat> given what I do in my patient practice, I have a lot of people with LP little a problems. And the reality is LP little a is sort of like LDL. They matter, but the vast majority of people that have LP little a problems, just like the vast majority of people that have FH, familial hypercholesterolemia, still don't have problems in their 20s and 30s. They have problems once they start getting the bigger risk factor, which is prediabetes and diabetes. So, Pavel, thank you so much. That was a great opportunity to go down a bunny hole that's important to a lot of people.
Peter Grant, my Crest store is on free on Medicare Advantage. Well, you know, Peter, that's exactly what our Alabama project is. It's Medicare Advantage. And we're, we're talking about it. Medicare Advantage is a great way for people to get. Uh, it's like what's often concierge level care and great prevention in most cases or in a lot of cases, certainly in our case, um, on a on a lower middle class budget. I mean, it's a you got to you got to be careful who your provider is, but. There's a lot of ways that works very well. Lou Ortiz, I'm on 20 milligrams Crestor and no side effects. Good for you, Lou. Have you had an insulin resistance test? I would check that out because it's probably contributing to your prediabetes. And I'm assuming you've got it if you're on Crestor. And you, if, if you're saying, why would he assume that? You need to view a few more of my videos. Uh, I recently had CTA with calcified and uncalcified plaque and LAD, my cardiologist, the Widowmaker, what people call the Widowmaker. My cardiologist now wants me on 40 milligrams of Crestor saying it could help reduce soft plaque. You know what? <clears throat> Why don't you find out what's causing that plaque? It's not a Crestor deficiency. Ronnie or me, any carbs from non-refined sources like broccoli, beans? No, you don't get, you don't get carbs from... So you, yeah, so here's one of the confusing parts. I had this this um, nutritionist friend, David Mines, who recently said, Doc, Ford, you know, I feel so embarrassed because I've been a nutritional professional all my life. And people said, and I never bought into this low carb thing until I realized that what you're talking about is glycemic carbs, carbs that change your blood glucose. Broccoli is full of carbs. Uh, it's all um, uh, fiber. Fiber doesn't, it's gotten zero glycemic value. Now, some beans, on the other hand, like lentils, are classic for causing, uh, uh, black beans can do it too, classic for causing hyperglycemia. Um, <clears throat> so it just depends on whether it's a glycemic uh, carb or not. Ronnie, thank you so much for allow, for bringing that topic up. Uh, Jacob, Thank you. J thank you, Jacob. Uh, Paul Ridker, Crestor. Thank you so much, Bart. Try some Sambucol, black elderberry syrup. For <laughs> thank you. I'm, I've been trying a lot of stuff. I, I'm getting over it. You know, two weeks ago, I had to cancel the thing because I just sounded like that. We're doing a lot better. Thank you, Peter. Uh, Tom Watson. Not that Tom Watson. If it is, let us know. Uh, Dr. Brewer, get someone to bring you a teaspoon of honey. <clears throat> Thanks. F fix your throat fast. Uh, thanks so much, Dr. Brewer. Niacin, which type? Flush, no flush. Don't get what's called your typical no flush. I don't get uh, I, I don't get paid for selling these, but there are two different brands that um, that we recommend routinely with patients. Uh, one of them is rugby, and the other one is Endurison. E U E-N-D-U-R-A-C-I-N. And uh, our patients clearly tolerate Endurison the best. Let me just check real quick. Uh, I've got patients this afternoon. I actually have a patient coming up in 10 minutes. Guys, I apologize. I am going to need to run. But actually, we're close to the end. Uh, Barbara Flint, thank you. I have. Okay, thank you so much.
Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.